Well, we're continuing our study on 2 Peter, and this is actually going to wrap it up for 2 Peter. Um, last week, we talked about the rapture a little bit, and we talked about the ultimate destruction of the world in judgment. Pretty light, breezy topics, right? But the truth is, Peter is still trying to warn them as much as he could before his time ran out. And that's how we're going to finish up today. Now, last week, we ended with this verse, 2 Peter 3.10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and everything in them will disappear in a fire and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Warning. Now Peter turns the corner a little bit and he challenges them and now we're gonna pick it up at verse 11. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. He's talking about, for them, priorities. Are your priorities in order? In the grand scheme of things, what to you is really important? Are you waiting for that day? Are you living your lives that way? Or are you kind of just, uh, you're kind of skating through hoping you're gonna make it? You ever been told or you ever tell yourself, you know, I need to get my priorities straight. I need to really sit down and, and understand the value of things. Because in our lives, every, everything has a value. Some have important value, some not so much. And some of us misplace those things that we consider valuable. And Peter's telling them, you need to get your priorities right, make the important things the important things, and then everything else comes after it. Everything we do, we prioritize. We prioritize the events in our lives. And usually we prioritize them by their importance to us. How does it work for me? And Peter's asking them, what do you prioritize in your life that's important to God? Maybe not so important to you. I gave this example on Wednesday, Wednesday night class about priorities. A couple days ago or last week, uh, one of our girls had a, a little fender bender with my car. And when I got the phone call, instantly worry came up, you know, a little bit. Everybody okay? What happened? And that, that you know, that grip, that adrenaline just starts flowing. And you get nervous and you got worried and what am I going to do next and the insurance company and all that. And then about three or four days later, we're going to have a little baby being born. And, you know, when they go in, we haven't heard from them in a couple of hours, and all of a sudden, why haven't we heard? What's going on? Well, all of a sudden, the car thing becomes of little importance. The car is temporary and very inconsequential compared to the baby, right? So what do we do in our lives that it allows the things that we have here to be temporary and inconsequential compared to what God wants. You know, this country, we are very blessed. How many understand how blessed this country is? Now, the problem with that sometimes is we take those blessings and those blessings become very important to us. And sometimes the blessings become more important than the blesser. The things that we have become more important than the person who actually gave those to us. And Peter is telling them, you need to prioritize the things in your life. And the first thing he tells them is 
You ought to live holy and godly lives. First priority. And that means we have to determine to live with moral purity, personal integrity, spiritual wholeness, separated from evil, and committed to God and his purposes. Now, why, do we, why does Peter need to tell them? And he says this, let me tell you this in case I forgot in verses 12 and 13. He reminds them of something that he already said. He says, that day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So we know judgment's coming, but we also know a new heaven's coming, right? We know that something is awesome that's coming. And that is what we are planning for. That's what we are preparing for. I was talking to the teens today, and we were talking about what uh, people who have fame and, and notoriety. And the question we asked them, would you rather be famous or would you rather be good at something? And, you know, after the lesson, they all said good at something because we realized that fame, no matter how famous you are, that fame will eventually go away. And if you're living on the fame, if you're living on the importance that you think you have and what you get and how people like you, what are you going to do when that fame is gone? And I, I kind of geared it towards the social media aspect today. And there's a statistic, I don't have it with me, but it said that people of that generation are more concerned about how many likes they get on something that they put on the internet. They're more important, more concerned about that than they are with what career they're gonna have, what they're gonna do, who they're gonna marry. Again, priority. And I tried to get them to understand that that's temporary. The likes you get, whatever you get on social media, that's all temporary. But the decisions you make today are going to prepare you for the future. I said, you plan now, you're ready for what you're going to do. When you're 25 or 30 years old, the things that are going to be important to you aren't the same things that are important to you now. And I, and I gave the example of if you see someone maybe even my age or walking in with his high school letterman coat on, what do you think? Guy's kind of living in the past. Why? Because the fame and whatever he got in high school, is that's what he's living on. That's what he wants to go back to. And I told him, that's, that's going to be gone. When you're out of high school, that's done. What you prioritize now is what is going to be important to you in the future. That's why you make decisions based on what God wants you to do now. So Peter says, what are God's purposes? I guess that could be our question. In verse 14 he says, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And this goes back to what we said before. We have to determine to live with moral purity, personal integrity, spiritual wholeness, separated from evil, and committed to God and his purposes. And he, and he throws this in, and he basically ends his letter with a few verses. Verse 15 says, And remember, the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. How many times has he said that in his letters so far? God is holding off returning for one purpose, so that people, more people, will come to know him. And whose responsibility is that? 
That would be ours. Which brings me back to invite your one day. It's easy to think that's not a big deal, just another program. You know, I don't need to really bother asking anyone. Peter wants them to remember what he said about judgment and suffering. How many people do we know that is going to go to that point? That's going to be experiencing that. You know, the book of Ezekiel, God tells them, he says, your job is to spread the news. If you don't do it, it's on you. If you do it and they reject it, it's on them. So it is our personal responsibility to be able to at least share and do our part in the Great Commission. And the only reason that God hasn't returned yet is because we still have work to do. Jesus gave us a great commission in Matthew 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 5, 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Romans 10, 14, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Asking someone to church may seem difficult. It may seem like a great rejection. But the truth is, God is responsible for the outcome. We're responsible to do the inviting. We're responsible for sharing Christ. What God does with that is up to God. If you ask 50 people and nobody comes, that's God's responsibility. But if you don't ask anyone, and no one comes. That's our responsibility. We, there's a video series that we've been watching, the leadership, the deacon board and I have been watching about this one day. And we watched one this past week about the importance of prayer in that. And as, we, as we've mentioned before, our deacon board has been praying for it. We have a group of folks who are prayer warriors that have been praying for it. If we pack this place out, the gospel is going to be heard by, what, 200 people, 180 people. The enemy does not want that. Let me understand that, that this is still a spiritual battle. This is still a spiritual issue. And I believe that God wants to use this program, however it may seem, God wants to use the ability to bring people in to hear the gospel. But it only happens if we ask them. Acts 2.22, or I mean, here we go. Last week, we prayed for miracles. We've heard testimonies about them. A month ago, we had sermon on miracles and healings, and we heard about those. Do we believe that God still works in the same way? God works the same as he does, or he did 2,000 years ago. 
Now, two things about the way God works. The first one is God cares about his people and he's given us the Holy Spirit and his promises to trust. Now, we sang about those this morning. We sang about them last week. We prayed for healings and we believe that God is gonna do that. Not because we did anything other than trust what God already said. We believe that God is healing those we've prayed for. We believe that God will provide for his children. We believe that God restores. But we also know that there's a reason that God answers prayer. The first one is he cares about his children, he cares about his family. But the second one is God works and answers prayer to validate what his word already said. Mark 16, 20 says, And the disciples went everywhere and priests, and the Lord was with them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Luke 7, 20. John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of their various diseases, and he cast out evil spirits and restored sight to the blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back and tell them what you have seen and what you have heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Hebrews 2.3, what makes us think we can escape if we are indifferent to this great salvation that was announced by the Lord Jesus himself? It was passed on to us by those who heard him speak and God verified the message by signs and wonders and various miracles and by giving gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose to do so. Acts 2.22, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing wonderful miracles, or miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well know. There's a reason that God answers prayer. It's two, one for us. But the second one, I think, is even more important than the first, is that God does miracles so that we understand that God is real, that God is true, his word is true. But I think the bottom line is this. If we want to experience those miracles, if we want to experience God working in a powerful way, then there has to be people to whom God has to validate his word. We are all believers here, I'm assuming. We all know God's word is true, and we've all experienced that. But if we want to see God work in a miraculous way, there has to be people who don't know that for them to see what God can do. I mean, why do you think these things happen in mission fields? So God can validate what the missionary is saying is true. Miracles happen. People blind, people see deaf, people hear these things happen on the mission field because they have no idea that God is real and God validates that word by these things. And whether we like to know it or not, there's millions of people out there that think the same way. That there's no God, there's no miracles, none of this stuff happens. So if we bring them in and we talk to them about Christ and we share the news with them, God can punctuate that by doing miracles in their sight. By seeing things happen in their lives that they never thought would happen. We've all experienced something of answered prayer. And the Bible says that we are able to overcome what the enemy wants to do by what Jesus did, the blood of the lamb, and by our testimony. What has God done for me? 
It's one thing for people to disavow the Bible, not understand the Bible, or not believe it. But when you tell them what God did for you, it's kind of hard for them to disavow that. If it's something that is tangible for you, whether he saved you out of whatever it was you were involved in, or whether he healed you, or your family, or he delivered you from something, whatever God did for you is a validation of God's word being true, and we are obligated to tell people what God did for us. And the one thing that we're trying to accomplish with the Invite Your One Day is to get us in the habit of bringing people in. Get us in the habit of going out and talking to people. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a preacher. Simply take that paper and ask them to come. And they either say yes or no. As Pastor Keith said, you can make it more than one. You can ask many people. We want to be able to let people know the reality of Christ in our lives. People, you watch the news, everyone's involved or wants to know about supernatural. All these TV shows that are coming out now involve something supernatural in some area. So people are interested in that and we can show them that one aspect is true. Here's how the supernatural really does work with, with the power of God. Now Peter goes on and, and talks about Paul in verse uh, 15 and 16. He says, this is just as our beloved Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, speaking of these things in all his letters. Now it doesn't say specifically what he was referring to, but he seems to be referring to all the time, all the times Paul encouraged believers to be active while waiting for Christ's return. Not just sit around and wait. We had Judy, when we had VBS, taught up, talked about pew potatoes. You know, as opposed to couch potatoes, pew potatoes. Well, now we can say chair potatoes. And that just means sitting around, binge watching TV or binge watching something or doing nothing and relaxing and not accomplishing anything. You know, Ann and I were talking the other day that it would be nice to come home and just sit down and watch some mindless show on TV. But there's always something to do that we can't do that. And there, there was a book out years ago, I don't know if it's still in print, but it was called When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. Have you ever heard of that book? And it just means that we need to be doing something. And it's easy for us to just kick back and just, I have this, I don't know if you've been in our house, I have this huge recliner. We got it at a yard sale, you know, one of these websites. And I, we didn't realize how big it was until I went to get it and brought it home. And it's like two people can sit in this thing. But you know what? I like to sit in that thing, kick the legs out, and just do nothing. But when I'm doing that, guess what else is happening? Nothing. Nothing's getting done. Nothing's being accomplished. The laundry's still dirty. The bathroom needs cleaned. All these things that need to be done aren't being done because I can sit back in that barca lounger and do nothing. But God doesn't call us to sit around and do nothing. 
God calls us to be active on the front lines. So Peter, I think, made, makes his, or may, has made his point by now, and he finish, finishes it by reminding them again about knowing the truth. And for Peter, it's personal to him. In verse 16, it says, some, talking about Paul again, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what he meant, just as they do the other parts of Scripture, and the result for them is disaster. You ever read something in the Bible and find it hard to understand? A lot of stuff. In fact, I have a set of five books in my office, and they are called Hard Sayings of the Old Testament, Hard Sayings of Jesus, Hard Sayings of Paul, Hard Sayings of the New Testament, Hard Sayings of the New Testament Part 2. That's the five books. And it talks about all the things in the Bible that are hard to understand. And I think we all can agree that sometimes when you read it, it's like, Man, what's he saying? I don't, I don't quite get it. But what he's saying is people will use those relatively few verses that seem difficult and they will try to expand on that and use it in a way that was never meant to be used to give them meanings and, and advantages that aren't true in Scripture. There's a, there's a thing when you study the Bible, it, hermeneutics. You ever hear that word? It's a big Greek word. There you go. There's, there's a joke that young pastor was up there preaching and his, his hermeneutics teacher in, was in the front row. And he's, this young guy, he's preaching and preaching the, and the pastor is, he's just, he's just crying, he's crying. And he gets home and the, and the wife of the teacher says, I thought, I thought he did a great job. He said, yeah, but I'm his hermeneutics teacher and he was doing terrible <laughs> because he wasn't translating the Bible correctly. And the, and the premise of translating scripture is the Bible translates itself. If you want to understand something, what does the Bible say about that same issue in other places? If you grab one verse out, it seems kind of strange. What does the Bible say about that in every other instance that it's talking about? So we can kind of put the the hard one aside and look at every time that the Bible is pretty plain on these issues and say, well, okay, that's kind of weird, but all these other ones say it should be this way, so I'm going to assume it's this way. And that's what Peter's saying, that people use these things totally out of context, and they twist them around to say things that they don't say. He says those who teach it and those who follow are in for trouble. And and this is something I didn't think about until I, I read this or was doing this lesson. When Peter was referring to Paul, it also meant, it talked about Peter's relationship with Paul. Do you remember, Paul got in Peter's face. Right? He got pretty animated. In Galatians 2.11, it says, when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul writing, I had to oppose him publicly, speaking strongly against what he was doing, for it was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile Christians who didn't bother with circumcision. But afterward, when some Jewish friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of what the legalists would say. Then the other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was influenced to join them in their hypocrisy. Do we understand why Peter is so excited and animated about them knowing the truth, knowing who to listen to, and knowing who to reject? 
because he was one of them. Not total heresy, but he was doing things that were leading people astray. He was them. He was the guy who he was warning them about. And it wasn't until Paul challenged him that he actually accepted the correction and the rebuke. One of the things that our, our old senior pastor used to say about anyone in the Christian faith, are they teachable? Are they teachable or are they kind of rock solid in what they believe and you can't change them? And he meant that in a good way. We should always be open to being corrected by someone who knows the truth. We should always be open to that. Now, if you read books on leadership and, and criticism, they'll say, when someone criticizes you, the first question you ask yourself is, is it true? Are, are they right in their criticism? If they're right, then you have to address it. If they're wrong, then you dismiss it. Peter understood that he was receiving criticism from Paul publicly in front of everybody, but he knew it was right. And Peter changed because of that. Otherwise, he may have went down the wrong trail and led all these other people astray and become Judaizers like he was treating them in that particular passage. It's okay to be challenged and rebuked by someone if we are in the wrong. We have to be mature enough to accept it and learn from it. Now, Peter, after this happened, when he was rebuked publicly in front of everybody, he could have had a bad attitude. He said, I don't, I don't know who Paul thinks he is. I was wrong long before Paul. I was with Jesus. Paul wasn't. Who is Paul to tell me anything? But he realized that in spite of his tenure with Christ, he was in the wrong and he was grateful that Paul challenged him. And Peter is making sure that these folks don't do the same thing that he was responsible for those years ago. Because he knew how easy it would be. He knew how easy it is to lead people astray. Because he did it. In verse 17 and 18 he says, I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends, so that you can watch out and not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people. I don't want you to lose your own secure footing, but grow in the special favor and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be all the glory and honor both now and forevermore. Amen. If you're a public speaker, they tell you, I've not ever had this, but in training to be a public speaker, they say three things. When you get up to speak, you tell them what you're going to tell them. You tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Kind of repeat yourself three times. And that's exactly what Peter was doing here. He starts off by telling them at the beginning of the book all these things he's going to tell them. And then he goes and tells them in chapters 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And then at the end of chapter 3, he reiterates what he has already told them as kind of a, a synopsis of his entire book. He's telling them, watch out for false teachers. Care for your own walk with God. Grow in grace. And that just means special favor. And grow in your knowledge to make sure that you stay on firm footing. Because the time is coming 
when people are not going to listen to the truth. I mentioned Jonathan Harris two weeks ago. He's the guy that wrote that I Kissed Dating Goodbye book. We heard a public acknowledgement of him leaving the faith. And then if you follow the news, you'll hear that Marty Sampson, I think that's his name, Hillsong worship leader, Hillsong. Bow down before Hillsong, right? He leaves the faith. He's made a public statement to that effect. Now, there's also an article out there by the lead singer of Skillet. How many know who Skillet is? Skillet's a hard rock Christian band. And he was basically saying the problem that we have is putting people in positions of leadership and power at an early age. In fact, I believe Paul talks about that. Don't put a person in a position of power too early or they become conceited. But here's what happens. These guys could have went away quietly, just left, but instead they make a public announcement about that. Why do they do that? Well, I believe, and I think the the guy from Skillet says the same thing. These folks are used to being influencers. They're used to leading people. And so instead of just going quietly away, they make a public statement and a big deal about it, believing that others will follow them. Because they've had people follow them for years now, and their goal was to have them follow them again. And I believe when they're making these statements in a position of authority and power, people, there would be some people that follow them because they followed him this far. If he's the lead singer for Hillsong, then man, it must be something right about what he's saying. That's why we gotta be careful about what we know, what we believe, and who we listen to. I have a, a transcript of an interview that Joel Osteen did, did with, uh, yeah. Who's the guy that's the talk show guy, the old guy? Anyways, he was on a talk show, public talk show, and the guy, not a Christian, pointedly asked him many times about the uniqueness of Christianity. Can Jewish people be saved or people going to hell? And every time, every question he had on public radio, he denied truth. He kind of coasted his answers in uh, mealy mouth kind of stuff. Larry King, Larry King. He had the opportunity to be able to, on a public forum, speaking to millions of people, he had the opportunity to say the truth, and he didn't. Who do we listen to? Who do we follow? Who is able to lead us astray? And when that happens, Bible Peter talks about us winding up on the path of destruction because now you're listening to people and following people that are not speaking the truth. And that's why it's so vital that we know what God's word says about a subject, not just because I'm telling you, but that you have searched it out for yourself. If I were to get up here and say something that wasn't true, Would you know it? Would you know it? And would you be able to show me where I was wrong? 
And not just to convince me, but to convince yourself that what the Bible says is more important than what I say. Would you stand as we close this morning? The last part of that verse says this. If you do that and you grow in your knowledge, you grow in favor of Christ, what happens? The last part says, to him be all the glory and honor, both now and forevermore. The result of us growing in knowledge is not just for us, although it's beneficial, but the result is God gets the glory. God gets the credit. The gospel, I believe, would be advanced. People come to know who Christ is because we are standing firm in what we believe. There's a, there's a theory out there, and I think I ascribe to it, that if you are consistent in what you believe and you don't waver, you have a better platform to preach or to teach or whatever than someone who doesn't stand firm. I'll give an example. The, the Osteen example. Someone who is not able to stand for the truth is not able to defend his position, but basically puts his finger in the air and figures out what they want to hear, and he says it, has less credibility than someone who I may disagree with, but he is going to stand firm regardless of who he's talking to. And that should be Christians. We shouldn't put our finger in the air and figure out who we're talking to and couch our conversation that way. We should be able to speak the truth in love, but stay to the truth. Osteen should have taken the arrows, taken the darts, and said the truth, and not just what someone thought he wanted to say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the many, many blessings you've poured upon this country. Each one of us, Lord, as we look at our life compared to many, many before us and many who are living in different places, Lord, you've blessed us so much. There's so many things that we have now, so many just blessings from God. And Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would appreciate those, but Lord, our focus would be upon you. Paul said, I know what it is to have a lot and I know what it is to have nothing. Praise be the name of the Lord. We want to have our hearts focused upon you, not on the things you've blessed us with. We want our lives to be godly, holy, ones that are able to influence people with the gospel of Christ. I pray that you would fill each one of us with discernment as we study your word. Help us to really know your word for ourselves. Because as this world descends, and your word tells us it's gonna get worse. Your word tells us there'll be people out there telling us what we wanna hear, just tickling our ears with things we really want to be true. We really wanna hear. But we know they're not true. Help us to be discerning. Let the Holy Spirit prompt us and quicken us with a little jab in our spirit saying that that's not right holy spirit fill us anoint us help us to be faithful in what you've called us to you have not called us to just sit around and wait for the rapture you've called us to be working the bible says we're to occupy 
until you come. And that simply means we work until you come. And Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us that burden. Give us the favor with those we're going to ask. Give us the favor with our family and our friends that they are open to the truth. And I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to ask or to talk or to start a conversation. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be faithful. And Lord, when we do that, we will begin to see miracles and blessings poured out from heaven as people come to know you. Revival will begin in our hearts and then it will begin and carry on through what you're doing here at Dover Assembly. Bless each person as we leave today. Let us be encouraged that God, you're not someone who's afar off. You're not doing something else and not paying attention to us. But Lord, help us to know that you're right with us. Every second of every day, you are here. We don't even have to turn around to talk to you. You're here. You love us and you care for us. You want the best for us, Lord. You do. And we are thankful that you're in our corner. We're thankful, Father, that we can trust you. When things don't seem to go right, we can still trust you. You're still in control. I just pray your blessings upon each person as we leave today. Go before us, Father. Give us a great week. Let us experience the power and presence of God in everything we do in work, in school, when we're out and about. Help us to realize that you're with us in every place we go. Now, Lord, I commit each person to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a blessed week. See you Wednesday night as we continue our study.